Well, this morning we are starting a new sermon series for the next 12 weeks on what you see on the screen in front of you, the Minor Prophets. They're also called the Book of the Twelve, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Uh, These are those books in your Bible, maybe like mine, that that stick a little bit. Um, You know, the the pages, they're they're not as loved as... uh, Pages like Ephesians, maybe, or, or the Gospel of John, maybe, or, or something like that. And so uh, the, the last 12 books of our Old Testament, the Minor Prophets, again, the Book of the Twelve. In fact, this was great. I um, had forgot this, but in getting uh, things ready for the series and for this morning, um, one commentator reminded me of Stephen, you might recall, in the Book of Acts, the first Christian martyr. In, in his speech before his death, he referred to this book, that is the book of the 12. When he quoted Amos, he quoted Amos chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, in Acts chapter 7, verse 42. And this is what Stephen says, as it is written in the book, singular, of the prophets. So the book of the prophets. So uh, in, in Stephen's day, what we call the minor prophets, the last 12 books, they were considered this one book, the book of the 12 uh, and and so forth. Uh, And and so Stephen Stephen, uh, quotes Amos there, and we'll get to Amos in a few weeks. Now, uh, I want us to understand a little bit about these these minor prophets, these these books called the book of the 12. Um, I'm sorry right now for what I'm about to put on the screen, um, along with that other announcement slide, because this is way too small. So just bear with me. Um, I have it nice and big right here in front of me, so it looks good. It's like I'm sitting at my computer right here, and uh, I can read this perfectly. You, you can't so much, and that's okay. Um, just, just bear with me. I'll try to explain what, what you are straining to see. So our Old Testament, okay, is divided up differently than the Hebrew Scriptures, than, than the Bible in Jesus' day, you could say. Um, the Bible in Jesus' day, the Hebrew Bible, they divided their... Uh, scriptures into three sections, and that's those three blue little boxes that you see there. Uh, And it's all called the Tanakh. And I mentioned this last week. Uh, The Tanakh simply pulls uh, the first letter from each of those uh, blue uh, boxes, the Hebrew, the T for Torah, the N for Nevim, and then the K for Ketuvim. And and so putting in a vowel, the ah sound, you get Tanakh, T-N-K. And so those three sections... Uh, in English, because you don't know what Torah necessarily means, although you might know that one of the three. Uh, the Torah, the first section of the Hebrew Bible, is the law. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? The, the second section of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, they simply call the prophets. Uh, and this includes uh, what they considered the former prophets. So they considered books like Joshua through Kings, uh, minus Ruth, interesting, um, those were called the former prophets. And, and this, by the way, right away should po- cause us to pause. Um, when we hear prophet in our day, um, if we're not thinking about Bible, but it, even if we do sometimes think about Bible, we hear prophet and we think like a fortune teller. Someone who's a prophet knows the future. And, and there is a sense that God did tell some of the prophets some future things, definitely. But that is not the main thing you should think of when, when you're thinking about your Bible and 
prophets, okay? So even here, this is helpful. If they considered the books of Joshua through Kings, which we think of as history, um, as former prophets, then, then that means, what did they mean by prophet? They, they meant someone who spoke from God, a word from God it was, was to, to be a prophet. So God had a word for his people. And so uh, that's just interesting to keep that in mind. Um, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, not only do they have those, what they call former or later prophets, but, or excuse me, former prophets, they have the later ones, uh, which are the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then what we call the, the minor prophets. And we'll talk about major, minor in a second because those mean different things maybe than what we think of. Um, and then it also, uh, then their third section, the third blue box that you see, uh, the kind of the biggest section of, of books, uh, they simply call the writings. And this included uh, the Psalms, Lamentations, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, and then they put Daniel, Ruth, Esther, uh, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and the Chronicles in, into their section, their, their writings. So again, it's different, right, than if you look at your table of contents and look at your Bible. Or, and I don't apologize for this next graphic because that's a little easier on the eyes, um, but take a look at the screen. Um, some of you might recall several years ago, we, we did a seminar, and this was at Kid Street, called Clarifying the Bible, um, and, and so this chart comes from that, that seminar and, and as well several other things I'm going to mention today. So what you see there, that G on the left uh, and then going all the way to the E on uh, the right side there, those are what we think of in our Bibles, right? Our, if we look at the ba- breakdown of our Old Testament, uh, the 17 historical books. And, and by the way, our breakdown that we have, that comes from the 2nd century, from the Septuagint, um, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. When, when they decided to translate the Hebrew into Greek, they reordered it uh, into what we have. And so um, what you see there, Genesis, Exodus, those are the first letters, okay? It doesn't spell gelman, okay? That, those are the books. If you just kind of go through the books of your, uh, your Bible, uh, the 17 historical books, um, they're... Um, there, across the top of the chart. Then I want you to notice below, you see the J under G. That's for Job. Uh, we actually don't know for sure where Job fits in a timeline. And, and that box, by the way, is meant to be a timeline, okay? Uh, most scholars do put Job somewhere in the time of the events of Genesis. We don't, again, know where in the historical record he fell, but based on things, that's the, the best um, educated a uh, guess, an answer we have. So that's the J and the second um, uh, chart there, the second, um, not, not a column, columns straight up and down. Row, thank you. And so all you uh, Excel people, you like stuff like this. So then you get to the middle under First and Second Samuel, and there you see the PS, that's the Psalms, okay? And then under First Kings, you see uh, PR, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And, and again, so this is, and then the final box, we'll just get it out of the way. Here we have what, what we think of, based on our breakdown uh, of the Bible, the 17 prophetical books, okay? And they fit there, because here's the point. When, when we look at our Bible, and you go to the table of contents, it's all too easy to, to kind of go, okay, yeah, Genesis is the beginning, right? I know that. And then, you know, it, it moves its way through, uh, you know, Abraham and, and the life of the, the patriarchs. <clears throat> and then you, you get to the end of Genesis and you have Joseph 
and then they're in Egypt, and then Exodus begins, and it's Moses, and then, okay, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that's, that's Moses, and that's them being freed from uh, slavery into Egypt and going into the promised land and wandering for all those years, and then uh, Moses dies, and then we get to Joshua, and then, and then Joshua, and again, we're moving in historically here, uh, Joshua, um, they, they take into the land that God had promised, and that leads to the time of the judges, and after the time of the judges come the kings, so you start getting into the Samuels there, and then the kings, and the Chronicles, if you've ever read, they, they kind of mirror places, the kings, and then, okay, Ezra, Nehemiah, where do they fit? Sometimes we aren't sure, but in our Bibles, they come next, and Esther. Oh, and then we get Job, but Job's supposed to be back at Genesis, Paul O. said. And then we get the poetry, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then the prophets, right? And, and so my point is, if we just look at our table of contents, it's easy to think the prophets all spoke way later. But look at the chart. They, they were speaking, they were speaking during the time of, of the kings and during the time of the... Uh, the kingdom of Israel before it was divided and so forth. So again, important to understand that. Um, now back to the, the designation of uh, major and minor prophets. Um, when we talk about major and minor, if you're a baseball fan, a major league, that's like the professionals and minor league. Those are the people trying to become major uh, league players. And so major is better and minor is not as important or not as good. Uh, that's not what the term means uh, when, when it's referred to the, the prophetic books. Uh, the term major is simply a way of saying they're bigger. They're, 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 they have big books like Isaiah. Uh, that's a major prophet. And then most of the minor prophets are on the smaller side in terms of their the number of chapters. Interestingly, though, uh, Hosea, which we will get to in just a moment, uh, it's a longer minor prophet. It has 14 chapters, uh, as does um, Zechariah, I believe it is. And so you have, again, somewhat arbitrary name, uh, and that's why, again, um, it's probably better to simply refer to the minor prophets as the Book of Twelve, okay? Um, and they're minor in that they're just a little bit uh, smaller. Again, Hosea, Zechariah, they have 14 chapters. Um, another thing to note about the prophetical books um, again, you could see sort of a timeline there, right? I don't have dates or anything like that. But what ends up happening, and, and just bear with me for a minute, this is kind of like uh, doing a bit of an Old Testament survey course, but we, we want to understand these, these things. All those prophetic books listed there in that bottom right grid, uh, they can be categorized in, in pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic. And exilic is just a way of speaking of the exile so, what do I mean? After the period of the judges, the nation of Israel, they wanted a king. You might re recall that. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And so God gave them a king. And so King Saul was the first king in Israel, 1051 BC, verse Samuel 9. Uh, Saul reigned for 40 years, and then David became the king. And this is now 2 Samuel chapter 2, okay, and about... 1011 BC. After David reigned for 40 years, his son Solomon became king in 971 BC. And now we're getting into 1 Kings there uh, or so on our chart. Finally, Solomon would reign for 40 years. And then after his death, the nation of Israel would split into two. 
And so you may have learned this at some point in Sunday school or, again, a, a seminar class. But now the nation of Israel is two. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, and then there's the southern kingdom that's called Judah. And this is 1 Kings 12, and this is 931 B.C., this divided kingdom, okay? But they're not in exile yet, okay? Exile is going to be what, what comes. So God is going to judge uh, his people, Israel and Judah, and, and they are going to be taken into exile. And so, back to those words, the prophets, some of them spoke uh, pre-exile. They spoke during the time of the uh, kingdom being united. And then some spoke uh, during the time uh, of the exile, uh, which all would happen during the divided kingdom. And then there are a few that actually spoke, again, from God in post-exile, once God's people had returned from the promised land. Again, we, we, we must not think that the prophets all come after the history, but they, they really come during. Um, and this is why some of the Bible plans, and this is a joy of some of the plans we have access to on our phones and whatnot, you can read a chronological or listen to the Bible chronologically. And so as you're in, let's say, a book like Second Kings, uh, all of a sudden, the next day's reading might have one of the prophets speaking because that's where it falls chronologically, and it, it really is, is somewhat helpful to orient yourself uh, to the scriptures that way. So I recommend a chronological plan at some point for you. Another thing to note uh, is this. Um, with the book of the 12, with what we're calling the minor prophets, um, there's, there's three main themes. Sin, punishment, and restoration. And in all three of those, sin, punishment, restoration, they find themselves in all of the 12, all of the minor prophets. But one, one scholar, his name's Paul House, it's a good name, uh, he's helpfully noted that the initial six books, that's Hosea through Micah, they, they have a deep uh, affinity towards addressing sin. And then the next three, Nahum through Zephaniah, focus more on punishment. And then the final three, Haggai through Malachi, they bring more heightened attention to restoration. So sin and punishment and restoration. And so that becomes an important theme to, to note as well. But all of that, just as a brief uh, background to the Bible, our Bible, the way we oriented versus the way the Hebrew scriptures are. And we come to this first book of the 12, this first minor prophet, the book of Hosea. And so if you haven't already... I invite you to turn there. Um, Hosea's big, 14 chapters, big for being a minor, right? A small prophet. And it's okay, again, if your pages stick a little bit. Um, the name Hosea, uh, we don't see this in English, okay? But it consists of an abbreviated form of the name Yahweh together with a causative form of the verb Yasa, which means to save or deliver. So Hosea's name literally means Yahweh has caused salvation. Great name. Yahweh has caused salvation. Uh, Mark Dever, pastor and uh, scholar, he notes three unusual things or three things worth us noting uh, about Hosea amongst the other minor prophets, amongst the other uh, of the book of the Twelve. Um, again, I've already touched on it, but it's longer than most. Along with Zechariah, 
14 chapters, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll comment on this again, but um, the first three chapters tell this story about the prophet Hosea and God's call for him to go and, and marry this woman named Gomer and their story, which is a crazy story. And then the rest of Hosea, chapters 4 through 14, are a mixture of poetry and, and speeches and, and things that flesh out um, a lot of God's truth for his people, but, but the story, if you will, of, of this prophet. And this is what most people know, uh, Hosea and Gomer. That's in the first three chapters. <clears throat> Another thing about Hosea, um, it's one of the earliest of the minor prophets of, of the 12. Uh, we don't know exact dates. Um, Hosea 1.1 1, 1, uh, if you have your Bible open there, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So this is written to God's people when they were divided. And based on that, Hosea's ministry spanned over 20-some years. Um, could be anywhere from like 20 to 30-plus years. Um, so again, we don't know the exact dates, um, but what we, we generally know is that Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they were the last three written uh, in the fifth century, and then kind of moving back in time, Joel, Obadiah, and possibly Jonah were written in the sixth century after the fall of Jerusalem. Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah probably written around the time of Jeremiah in the late seventh. So you got fifth century going back in time, sixth, seventh, and then Hosea along with Amos and Micah are the oldest three having been written in the eighth century. And this prophecy comes before the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria. So pre-exile. Everybody ready for an Old Testament survey quiz? Yeah. All right, third thing. Not only is Hosea one of the longest and therefore old and oldest of the minor prophets of the book of 12, but again, and as I've mentioned, it focuses on both northern uh, and southern, but mostly it focuses on the northern kingdom of Israel. Most of the other prophets uh, spoke to the southern uh, people. Most of them focused on the southern kingdom um, because there's only Judah that existed when those prophets were prophesying as the northern kingdom had already gone into exile. Um, and again, Hosea and Amos, they're the, they're the two. They prophesied to the northern kingdom and again, makes them unique amongst, amongst the 12. Um, this is important to know too because you're gonna see it from time to time. In our Bible, when we see uh, the, the name of God's people as Samaria, well, that's a reference to the northern kingdom. Sometimes the northern kingdom is called Samaria because that was the capital city when the kingdom was divided. And sometimes the northern kingdom is also called Ephraim, because Ephraim was its most prominent tribe, like Judah, right, is the most prominent tribe to the south, but generally Israel. Okay, Paul, that's good history, maybe you're thinking, or not. Uh, we came to church for a sermon, um, didn't come for uh, Old Testament survey. And I, I hear that, I appreciate that. Um, but this stuff paints kind of the context in the background. So just briefly this morning, we, we can't work our way through 14 chapters uh, unless we were doing a seminar on Hosea. 
Uh, but I want to put this on the, the screen, and then we'll, we'll talk about some, some verses briefly. So Hosea, and let's look, actually, before we read what's on the screen, look at your Bible. So I read verse 1. Now look at verse 2, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Verse 3, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Christian Standard Bible, which we read from during the catechism, this is how it translates verse 2. Because after all, we don't talk about whoredom a lot in our day. Verse 2 again from the Christian Standard Bible. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So that's this guy's call. I, I said to a, a pastor friend of mine, um, thank you, God, that you didn't call me to what you called Hosea to. And he, I would kind of chuckle, and I said it tongue-in-cheek to him, but, but think about that for a minute. This isn't fiction. This isn't, this isn't, you know, once upon a time in a land far, far away, you know, long time ago in a galaxy. No, this, this happened. God's people um, had wandered figuratively so far from God, so far from the God who had rescued them out of Egypt, who had saved them and said, I'm your God. And, and they just, they left and they worshipped other gods. Hosea is filled with references to Baal. Sometimes that's how it's pronounced, Baal. Um, and they started worshiping these other local deities, tribal gods, and they would pull some of their, their you know, Judaism, as we might say, into it. And, and God calls this, this prophet and says, I want you to go marry this woman. And this woman, Hosea, she's, she's going to cheat on you. And you're to marry her. And, and what's going to happen is she's going to have kids and then she's going to leave you and she's going to cheat on you again, but you, you stay married to her and you go back and you take her back and, and she's going to cheat on you again. And, and you, right, and we start thinking, oh, he had biblical grounds to leave her, right? We start jumping into like stuff about divorce, but God says, no, you are to stay with her and keep pulling her back because the whole point, he, he says, is, this is how I love my people. My people who, uh, as the verse says, who commit these, these acts of whoredom or, or promiscuity, who, who worship other gods, God likens it to an unfaithful wife. And we know the pain of that. We've all experienced it in one way or another um, when, when there's unfaithfulness in a marriage, and it's hard. It hurts. It's devastating. And God can redeem, and he does, and there's amazing stories of that. And God says, I want, I want you to have a ministry, Hosea, as a prophet who's going to speak for me, and your ministry means you're going to live this life. 
of, of loving someone who's going to turn away from you again and again and again. Because it's a picture of my love for my people who say, God, I love you. I'm going to be faithful. But we turn away from God. And then we come back. God woos us back. And we confess. And then we turn again. Didn't we just sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the message of Hosea. But what's on the screen now, the full message is is this. The unfaithfulness of Israel calls for a permanent remedy which will come in the faithfulness of Christ. His faithfulness to the Father and the faithfulness that Christ then works through the Holy Spirit in his people. God's love for Israel foreshadows, points forward. Every story whispers his name. Remember, we wrapped up our Meals with Jesus series last week on the road to Emmaus. Jesus says how the scriptures, the prophets, they pointed to me. It foreshadows, it points ahead to Christ's love for the church. Jump ahead to Hosea chapter 2. Starting at um, starting at verse nineteen, Hosea two nineteen. God says, "I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness." and you shall know the Lord. Again, from the CSB, just here, slight difference. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. So chapter one is all about this woman, Gomer, who leaves and has kids, and God tells them what to name these kids, and they aren't names you'd want to name your kids because of what they represent. Um, but, but God is promising here um, in the middle uh, to end of chapter two that even though, even though his people leave again and again, um, he, he says, my relationship with you is like a marriage where I will be faithful to you forever. And you will know the Lord. And so on the screen there, then you see uh, the reference to Ephesians 5. And, and I just want us to jump there briefly because um, marriage, right? This is typically what we think of. Um, biblical marriage, a man, a woman, united forever. Listen to what Paul says. Uh, and it's a passage many of you will know, have some familiarity with. In Ephesians, uh, beginning at verse 22, there's the command to wives in marriage to submit to their own husbands. Uh, And I'll start reading there and and just listen. Okay, With the backdrop of Hosea Gomer, the backdrop of what I just read from Hosea 2, God promising to take his people and to marry them, for them to be his wife forever. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, your turn. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I thought, Paul, you were talking about husbands. Oh, he says, in the same way, husbands... Love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then verse 32, this mystery is profound. What mystery is that, Paul? Husbands and wives, marriage? This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, marriage, husbands and wives, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, hopefully you're not too distracted wrestling about roles in the marriage. The point is, Paul says, Christ, he, he's, we're, we're, we, God's people, we, we submit to him, He's, we're, we're in this marriage relationship, even as wives are to submit to husbands. So in the picture, uh, Jesus is the bridegroom, uh, like a husband, and the church is the bride. And, and so he's calling wives to submit. He's calling husbands to love. And, and he's saying it's mysterious, but it refers to Christ and the church. And he would have known his Bible from Hosea that God promised to, to take his people to be a bride. I, I've joked before how every young boy hates thinking about being a bride when they learn that uh, the church, God's people are a bride. No young boy wants to be known as a bride. And so it takes getting a little bit older and maturing to know this is something God said going way back to Hosea. And then he repeats it again in Ephesians. And then it culminates in the book of Revelation. You can turn if you'd like, or just listen. Revelation 19, part of what will happen at the end prophecy of the future. In Revelation 19, verse 6, John writes, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure, bright and pure. So at the end, we are in this wedding. We, the church, God's people, are presented as this bride, this wife to Christ, what God had spoken of so long before in Hosea. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you in righteousness justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. And again, if we had time, 
over weeks to work our way through Hosea, we would, we would see plays on, on the word husband as it relates to Baal. And, and Baal sometimes meant husband in the Old Testament. It, it was, yes, these gods, these, these tribal deities that were worshipped, but as a way of speaking of these masters. And so Israel served the Baals, their husbands, not a betrothal, but like a, a lord, like a leader. And God in, in Hosea is saying, relate to me, as a loving husband, not as these bales, leave them, come back to me because I love you and I will keep pursuing you. I love you. I don't give up on you ever. You can come to me and turn from me and come back to me and I will never stop pursuing you. The message of Hosea is again this pointer that God loves us. He really loves us. So much so that he sends his son to, to live our, the life we can't live, to die in our place, to forgive us, cleanse us, to take us, and one day to, to unite us in this marriage. And we are gonna go be promiscuous. We are gonna turn and, and he will keep pursuing us. He will keep pursuing us. He will not give up on us. Hosea is a picture of God's relentless radical, or as the song says, reckless love. This is what we need to hear from Hosea. And if you have time this week, read through it. And it's, it's hard to read the first few chapters and to hear, again, this man's life, but it was done to tell God's people, including us, all these years later, this is how I love you. This is how I love you. I'm not giving up on you. Regardless of what you do, I really love you. I really love you. Really love you. Would you stand? And um, in fact, we're gonna sing that song and remind one another through singing that God really does love us. So Father, I know we've just scratched the surface on Hosea and there's so much more in that book. Lord, Peter quotes it in in the New Testament and, and there's truth to to dive into, but the, the big picture I pray we would believe and, and believe more and more, and when we don't believe it, would you help us in our unbelief, God, that you really do love us. Thank you that you never stop pursuing us because of Christ. And if we have wandered, Lord, we can return and, and, and repent, and you will meet us. And I pray we would live that life, the life of repentance. So even now in, in silence, God, hear our prayers. God, we want to be honest with you about maybe ways we've wandered this week. Maybe it's just been in a thought. Maybe it's been in an action or deed. But because of your radical love, woo us back. So hear our, hear our prayers of confession for these few moments, Lord, I pray.